welcome to Faith is Not Blind. My name is Sarah Devonier, and we've got a special interview today because I get the chance to interview my mother. And so I have a unique perspective on her. And because of that, for this particular segment, I wanted to focus on the home partly because I know what it was like to be in Marie Hafen's home growing up. And I wanted you to start, Mom, with talking about how the classroom that you describe in the book and that you've described in other places, <laughs> the classroom that Wes Belknap created for your religious problems and that classroom experience, I love how you and dad have always said it, it started a conversation that helped your marriage develop. How did you continue that conversation in your home? How deliberate was it? And what choices did you make to try and have a home that was like that type of classroom? Okay, this could be very interesting. <laughs> I, I hope so. <laughs> I'm assuming that it will. <laughs> Maybe it helps to go back a little bit to talk just for a minute about the kind of home that I grew sure, up in. Sure, yeah. Uh, because I had a mom and a dad who were quite different from each other. My mom was a, a redhead. She was outgoing. She was friendly. Uh, she loved other people. She grew up in the colonies of Mexico, the Mormon colonies, with uh, a very tight group of members who had gone there because of polygamy, um, but also with an, an, a group of, or the Mexican people and saints who were all around them. So her upbringing was very different from my dad's. Uh, she had a, a mom and a dad, and her dad was very invested in raising their 13 children. My dad, on the other hand, grew up in Provo, with uh, four siblings. And when he was younger than three, his father passed away at age 34. Very unexpected. And he, my dad had a younger brother who was only 10 months old when this happened. So he grew up in a very sparing and sparse, um, what do they call it when you want to hold on to things because you're afraid you may not have them? Right, yeah. Um, so he grew up a very sort of a scarcity mentality. That's the one, the yeah. scarcity mentality. That's, that was the issue. His mother was a very talented singer. She could, was going to go to New York to learn and then a uh, financial collapse made that not possible. But she wanted to keep her children together. She wanted to raise them. Uh, so she uh, did things because she had no advanced education, but had grown up in an affluent home. She was willing to take in laundry so that she had the basic necessities. And later on, students from Brigham Young University to help pay the bills. Uh, so the children always grew up knowing they needed to work if they were going to have what they needed to have. And my dad was much more introspective as I was growing up didn't talk much. He was a school teacher, 
we always figured he had spent his talking time at school and didn't have much left for at home. So we did not talk uh, much about the issues of the day. Um, my mom had a sure testimony. Uh, she didn't ever question anything. She had her own versions of complexities, health complexities later. Uh, my dad questioned more, but we didn't hear his questioning. Um, although we knew that there was a space when he was not that active in the church until he was called to be the clerk in the ward. And he did that through four bishops. And that's where I think he grew into his but testimony. But he never talked about that process but with his kids. But he didn't talk about the process with, with us. We knew there was always an issue, which I'm glad that we didn't have to grapple with as you were growing up. And that was he was so frugal that it was very hard for him to spend money for anything, unless it was to save more money. Then he could do that. But that so I saw him and my mom grapple with issues that caused some challenge between them because they just saw things differently. But again, it wasn't something that was acknowledged or dealt with in Directly. The we right. just saw some of the emotional right. output from that. But, but my mom was also um, independent enough that she thought, okay, if I see things that my kids need, I'm going to find a way to give them to my children even though maybe Ray doesn't feel that way about those things. So she went to work. So, she got an education. So we began to see how she had grappled with things that were difficult for her. So carry it, that forward. So when you went to BYU and you had this class yes. where you were not only encouraged to talk about religious yes. problems, yes. Um, but you needed to do it for a grade and then you made friends with whom you talked about yes, it. Yes. How how did that carry forward? Help you or how what did you think of that at first? Were you uncomfortable with it or were you pretty comfortable okay. with that classroom setting? No, I'm glad you asked that question because I came to BYU uh, having chosen BYU over the University of Utah because I was thinking I might do chemistry, but that was not my that was not my thing. That was not my bless. Um, but when I came to BYU, I wanted to be even more grounded in the gospel. I wanted to understand the depths of the gospel. So I had teachers, uh, it, because I, the honors program was just starting, mm -hmm. so I had teachers like Chauncey Riddle, like Truman Madsen, uh, like Dan Ludlow, because I wanted to understand. I wanted to know what it meant to be sanctified. I wanted to know. I wanted to live in a better way. This carried forward to that class with Wes Belknap. Because, because you signed up for that class. Right. Electively, through yeah. Bob Thomas, who was a mentor to both me and to your dad. And he said, you ought to take this class. Wes Belknap is teaching this class. And uh, you will understand some things in this class with the format. He said, take it. So I took it. And my issue was, how can I live the gospel better through understanding what the Spirit is and through feeling the Spirit more? And this, this model uh, that maybe was different yes. from the one in your home of confronting issues and talking about them, talking discussing about them. them, 
What was appealing about that to you? Uh, then I was beginning to see that a, a differing, differing views of things could actually give you a richer, um, more grounded, but more, and educated is the wrong word, but uh, uh, grander is the wrong word, but uh, um, a more magnificent view of the world, which, is, mm. which you might be bigger in order to share. Uh, your dad and I, as, as he has said, his issue was, should I be a liberal or a conservative? And so um, at first I didn't see that there was a clash with anything. We agreed on everything. Um, and our, uh, we decided, for example, a spiritually based decision just before we got married. We fasted about it, was when should we have our first child? So this was not too long after we had that class because those classes, the early classes from Truman Madsen and um, Bob Thomas was my literature teacher as well, but those wonderful, broad-gauge, deep professors had um, given us a foundation then that we could work from. And I could, at the beginning, not see a lot of difference between how your dad and I would approach things. Our decision, for example, a spiritual decision, was to have our first child as soon as possible. Even though I was planning to get a master's degree, and uh, the first year I was pregnant, taking classes, teaching classes, because I was teaching freshman writing and they were trying something new. So Karen Lynn Davidson was one of my co-teachers with Marshall Craig, the master teacher. So I was getting all this wonderful input to what was hopefully developing within me um, that was different from my mom, different from my dad. And Bruce and I agreed at that point on everything. Later we began to see that we had some things that we looked at differently. But as far as our home was concerned, we took that first little redhead in, and I could remember when he was born. I didn't think any child would ever be born again because that was such a <laughs> magnificent experience. Um, but the, the second year, I worked on my master's degree, and we, I was pregnant again with David. So I can remember walking across the stage to get my diploma eight and a half months pregnant. So. There was a definite desire within me to be educated, to keep learning. So we begin to see this in our home. Now that classroom, the things we carried forward from that, it was a place of safety. It was a place where we could express, we could brainstorm, and we would feel like it was okay. There was mutual trust here. Plus, we also had the master teacher, Wes Belknap, who was then the chairman of the Department of Religion. And we felt very lucky to have him as our teacher. And because you taught classes on the university level, right. and you understood how to teach, what would you say filtered okay. into your teaching of your children, of our children from that? Because I think some parents feel like they need to be an authoritarian and tell the kids exactly what to do 
and Which how to do it. Which doesn't follow that, that, model, that of model of solving your own religious problems. So right. how did you sort of take pieces of that and put them put in the into. home where you described you wanted to be it to be a place of safety and peace, which is difficult right. when you have seven kids. So, no. In fact, I would say that we did not get that um, focused about that issue until a little later because we had four children in less than six years. Yeah. So at the beginning, as our bishop said to us, um, yes, I can see you're in the phase of rugrats, keratin climbers, and house apes. Uh, so home life was not always organized. So that was a little different from the classroom where you know you have some order. However, with, I think it's interesting that your project for Brother Belknap's class was about finding the spirit in mm -hmm. your life. Yes. So as a young mother, with all of that busyness, I think that could be a classroom, but maybe not as much for your kids, maybe for you. How, yeah. how did you find learning for yourself personally during in those years that, that created a classroom for yourself? That was one reason I was glad I had some education behind me that I could bring forward into that because you're working with being deliberate at helping your children to grow to a point where they might be able, where we might be able to have around the dinner table the kind of classroom that we had in West Belknap's class. Um, so I think I was searching during that time, how do we teach these children? John was very different from Dave. So you also have to customize what you're trying to teach them. John, you rolled with it and you didn't press him too much because then you get a reaction. Whereas Dave was very much um, compliant. He wanted to do what was good, what we asked him to do. Yeah. And so as we bring that forward, and I think that's what you're getting to, how do you have a home then that will promote the kinds of things that West Belknap promoted. And just to back up a little bit before we get to that, th this sort of customized curriculum for your children, okay. did your education and your ability okay. to, to think about things, did that help did you help? be open-minded enough not to have a one-size-fits-all model kind of parenting? Of, yes, we couldn't. And it, it, even though it was a gospel-centered home, yes. how did you make sure that it was individualized? That kind of came out organically. I mean, you couldn't work with one child, and then the third child, Tom, uh, was different from the other two. And Emily was very different from the three of them. And, and you were very different. Yes, and then your right. my best child, my <laughs> my perfect child came right. along, number five. <laughs> Although you and I have talked about the fact that in terms of the of our makeup, our minds, the way we approach things, that we're probably more alike than maybe I am our other children. So we could talk about who was most like your dad. Um, yeah. and who was very different from either right. one of us. Right. Uh, and how did your education help, help okay. you to do Because not everyone does that, especially when you have multiple no. children. You've, and especially if they come quite, like, yeah, quite close together. Yeah. The most space was between you and Mark. Right. So uh, we had a breather right there. But up to that point, my life was, how can I help these children to grow up, be able to think? There's a lot of emotion around this house. There's a lot of noise. 
but they need to be able to feel how can we help them to have their emotions be good and not out of out of control so that their brain as it develops will yeah. help them control their emotions which is a much different question than how can I get my children to follow the commandments? Yes, or, or how can I... Or be obedient, or, or look like this ideal right, family. Right, Because you're making a sacrifice if you're allowing the kids to develop right. their own ideas. Now, for me, that seemed to be kind of a natural, organic thing that happened as I was trying to help these kids and trying to have a connection with God along the way. Yeah. You, you did ask me a question earlier about... How did my education play into this? Right. And I remember a statement that came along a little later when I was looking back a little more, that um, if you're talking about educating women, you're talking about educating a whole generation. I think Ardeth Cap talked about that. But the statement that I was remembering was something that ca came from Carolyn Pearson, who said, before becoming somebody's wife, before becoming somebody's mother, try to become somebody, that you have your own developed core, mind, spirit. Right. And that, that your education as a woman is for yourself and for your relationship with God. And, and that's that. just as valuable. Well, and then we began to see, too, that if our children were growing up and we were having discussions and we wanted to be intentional about our parenting in, the, in terms of them gaining what we hoped we were gaining, that it was a, a very focused, intentional kind of idea that we would have dinner together. Right. And again, later, looking back, we read something that said this was, and I, I want to say it wrong because I read it before I heard it, tavoli. It was an Italian word yeah. that meant having dinner together Every day, that was the place where you learned your culture. That's where you learned how to engage other people who might think differently from you, but where you could uh, learn and grow together. And that's why we tried every night to have dinner together, well, at and least. I, and I can say that wasn't just an ideal. Someone growing up in your home, I knew we were going to have dinner together every night. And that, that was an expectation. And, and honestly, it was something that I look forward to. Um, how did you try and promote conversation? I know conversation. you had healthy dinners. You had food yeah, I, there. I tried. We, and you tried to have us help cook the food and clean up, which worked right. some of the time. Your chores, which worked some of the time. <laughs> but how did you try and promote those conversations? So here we get to the classroom uh, table. Okay. Um, okay. So, because... It's tiring to get dinner on the table and to get schedules coordinated. And with your dad being very busy. Right. Right. And you want to have good nutrition because you could know my mother. There's something that came from my mother. <laughs> yeah. Good nutrition. It's whole wheat and raisins for breakfast. <laughs> and then you can think better. So there was a purpose in that. It's questions to answer your question. Yeah. Asking a good question. And your dad was especially good at that. Um, he could ask a good question that any of the kids at the table could contribute to, no matter what their level was, because there were younger kids and older kids, and as the kids got into high school, 
John was a debater, so he brought all of these, and even he would be adversarial, he would take the opposite point of view just to move the conversation in an interesting and way. And was that allowed slash encouraged yes, to have yes. different viewpoints? Different Rather viewpoints than asking a question with that we the would, expectation that everyone would answer it the same. Uh, not a unified answer, because they were different kids for one thing. We knew they were headed in different directions. We wanted to foster whatever was their gift to give the world. Now, I do have to say that I began to learn something there because you kids teased me. I was trying to keep a little order. Yes, you kids had your work to do, but I wanted to be sure that the kitchen was cleaned up before I went to bed. So sometimes I would leave the table and I would be cleaning up some over there by the sink. And the kids would tease me a little bit about that. But I was always tuned in to the conversation, and I would shout something from the sink. <laughs> but I think if I could go back, mm. I would say, okay, you kids, I'm going to sit down and talk with you as well right now at the end of the meal, and then we'll all pick up our dishes, right. which you did anyway, even if it was your turn to do no, the not dishes. all the time. <laughs> <laughs> like you said there, it was a little messy sometime there in the home, but... Uh, right. And, well, and I think if it's it's okay for it to be messy. An yes. ideal sort of gospel-centered right. home maybe should be messy, both literally and figuratively, well, some, some, some of the time. Some of the time. <laughs> and that's where you talk about some of the issues we talked about were, let's take this apart. Let's see what the parts are. So that's deconstruction, right? But we all always wanted to be constructive in the way we put it back together. So, so that it wasn't just complete sort of free discussion with no right. purpose. Right, Yeah. right. So if you can have deconstruction constructively, that's what we were trying to do. In, right. And enough well, that's what post-structuralism is all does, about. That you can deconstruct for a greater purpose and, and you in, can find redemption through that. Through that. Yeah which we share that in common with our degrees in English. Yes, so. that's right. I and yeah, even master's degrees. I mean, we just, and even having two babies while I was working on my master's degree, I was still also learning um, that there is a broader way to look at things. Because when I first came, I didn't realize there was a difference between the New York Times and the Washington Post and the, in you know, whatever. Yeah. Right. Right, and you, so you learn things that broaden your perspective that you can bring forward to your family. Yeah, I, I remember, I didn't, because I had sort of been raised in that home, I don't think I, I appreciated it necessarily. I remember a moment when you took time to drive a friend and me to a university to look at the university and to look at dorms and oh, decide where yeah. we would go to college. And... It was a several-hour drive, and at the end of the drive, when we got to the destination, my friend looked at me and said, does your mom always do that? And I said, do, do what? what? Because I, I had no idea what she was talking about. And she said, does she always ask you questions and find out what you think? Does she always engage with you like that? I mean, she had not been raised in a home where that happened, and I thought about it, and I said, yes, she does. Doesn't everybody's mom do that? And she said, I love how she does that. I want to do that, too. And I, and I was grateful for that moment, because I think when you're raised in a gospel classroom, it's 
easy not to appreciate it or to deliberately choose it. And so now with your grandchildren, how many grandchildren do you have? We have 46 total. There are two of them who are on the other side. And we hope they're cheering for us. We need that. <laughs> but one, watching them one, grow up. Yeah, one great grandchild. And yes, one <laughs> great grandchild. How do you, so this, this will be the last question that I ask. I, I think it's interesting just listening to you Talk about how none of this was necessarily static. It was developmental. Right. Deliberately de developmental. And through each stage you tried to learn, which demonstrates that it's more of an attitude rather than a checklist. So how, what do you do now as a grandmother to try well, and keep that up? Okay, I have to mention one thing because I think I, that, that we as grandparents bring more to bear with our grandchildren than perhaps we did even with our children. But as our marriage developed, I began to see that your dad and I saw some things differently. Even on the basic, he's a man, I'm a woman. We've tried to write things together. And that's been a difficult experience because we don't see things exactly the same. But I think that brings more richness right. to what you end to up writing. To acknowledge that and not to feel like you have to right. see the world exactly right. the same. Right. And I feel like I am more independent than I used to be. Uh, not as regimented, and I think that's also good. But there has to be a certain amount of order in which you can bring these things to bear. Right. And just to answer your last question about grandchildren, we're trying to do the same thing. Gather them around the table. We're lucky enough to have many of them come to school, either at BYU or UVU, um, or sometimes to work. And they bring very different perspectives to the table. And we hope they feel that it's a safe place. They can brainstorm. They can say what they really think. And it will enrich their education and enhance our relationships. Because I think that's the base. It's the relationships with each other and with God that helps us bring everything together in a way that helps us right. develop. Well, and, I, and I think that's the word is the relationships because if your purpose is to have a relationship with each other rather than just do things the way that you think that you should, yeah. your purpose is to have a relationship with God and that those sort of feed on each other, then, then it's nurturing and nourishing that's what you hope. around that table. You've got good patterns that you hope you can help them develop for their own families and their own relationships. And, and as your daughter, I can say that that was valuable enough to me. We, we try very hard to continue that because it, it was so nurturing and nourishing and helped me develop an individual identity as yeah. well as an identity as your daughter and as a daughter of God. And I, I appreciate that. And I appreciate okay, you. It's, you. It's wonderful to hear your story and perspective. Well, and it goes back the other way. We've seen you with your children. And they're, they're wonderful. They're growing up. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs>